Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here, and uh, absolute pleasure yet again to welcome a wonderful guest from all the way from Houston, Texas, a fellow sales trainer, fellow sales consultant, and fellow sales speaker, Larielle Lipkins. Welcome to the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm super excited for our conversation today. That's awesome. And it's not often, and we're talking just before we press record, not often that we get to speak to somebody who does pretty much what we do. Uh, and interestingly, a lot of people in my network are going to be interested in your take on this, kind of say, why Why would you want to talk to somebody who's in the same industry doing the same thing? Isn't that like uh, either collusion or com- <laughs> competitive tension? Wouldn't you want to be doing something completely different? But I actually think it's a great thing because out of this conversation, there might be some stuff that's going to help me improve my sales training. And maybe, just maybe, I'm not sure, <laughs> maybe it might help you as well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation where I'm going to get some takeaways and uh, different perspectives. I mean, because you're all the way in Australia, right? And I'm here in Houston. So um, love to be able to kind of see how things translate across the, across the world. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe the language might be might be a little bit different, but I can tell you probably with a high degree of certainty that some of the challenges that our sales team, sales leaders and sales people in Australia face be no different to the challenges that people in the US and the Northern Hemisphere face as well. So um, if you're a listener to this podcast and you've been listening for a while, you know that this sort of is off the cuff. It's organic. This could go anywhere. So I've already already let Larry all know that this could be anything. But um, hey, let's start with a quick conversation. And for the listeners benefit, Larry, in terms of your background, um, just give a bit of a bit of a synopsis in terms of yeah. Uh, what you've done up until now, and I'm really interested in in what you got into, what what got you into sales training and and sales consulting. Oh, that's a that's a long story. How much time do we have? <laughs> hey, so I've been I've, I've been doing sales training and consulting for 13 years. Uh, so the first 10 years, um, I actually worked for Sandler Training, um, which is one of the largest sales training companies in the world, and. Ironically, I had no intention of ever getting into sales. Um, I actually joined uh, Sandler in the Dallas area, um, and I was on the marketing side of the business. And um, our CEO at the time had me write out my goals, and we went over as part of my onboarding. And he said, literally out of his mouth, he said, you're going to be expensive. And he said, <laughs> I was like, can, can you tell my husband, he was my fiance at the time, don't tell him that, right? Um, but he said, you're really good at what you do. We understand that you have a background in marketing, but if you really want to accomplish those goals, you're going to have to make more money. And I suggest you get into sales. And I uh, did not listen for the first probably 18 months or so, because quite honestly, I was terrified of sales. I had this negative connotation around what sales meant. Um, I thought it was about being manipulative and being pushy and aggressive, right? All the things that we hear now. And um, I went and sat in one of the classes and I was like, wow, there's actually a process 
to selling. And all of the things that I thought would not make me successful in selling, I was actually able to leverage as a strength. So became certified, uh, became one of the youngest certified female trainers in Sandler, did that for 10 years. And then I left in 2018 uh, to start my own sales training and consulting agency, right? And so it's been a wonderful ride. And now I get to spend my time working with small to mid-sized companies who are needing training or really um, optimizing their sales process so mm. that they can scale their organization. Awesome. Uh, there's a couple of things you said in there. One was the, I guess, the negative connotation towards sales. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting the m- number of people you speak to and you w- mention the word sales and often, well, not often, most of the time, people have this this negative connotation. And you said it's, it's the pushy, it's the pushy type of person. It's the convincing. It's always be closing sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And And I guess a challenge for us is to recognize that sales doesn't have to be like that. In fact, great salespeople are anything but pushy. They'll ask the hard questions and maybe they'll actually bring people to account, but they're not the dodgy people that perhaps people have stereotyped in the past. Yeah. So um, was what was what was your, I guess, challenge not looking to be in sales? Because a lot of a lot of people also fall into sales and they become like the accidental salesperson. Yeah. Um, what sort of and we'll talk about mind shift and mindset today. What sort of mindset change did you have to go through to at least embrace the concept of you could add value in sales versus yeah, maybe I, not even thinking about it in the first place? Yeah, I think for me, the mindset shift is I thought that you had to be extroverted and that good salespeople had a certain personality profile. And I didn't fit that profile. Ironically, you're probably not going to believe this, but I'm naturally introverted. And so all of the things that I think that we traditionally think of salespeople, I was the antithesis of that. So I didn't know how I was going to be successful in sales. But as I was I was sitting in and going through the program and learning what sales is and kind of the psychology and the process, I was like, oh, I love process. Mm. And what I've come to realize is that personality will only get you so far. Yeah. Right? Personality may open the door, but really, really good salespeople have a process that they're following, whether it's documented or particular methodology is irrelevant. They have some type of process. And so that kind of shift in my thinking or really kind of this epiphany almost was like, I'm good at process. Now I've got to figure out how to take my personality and come up with a process that works to fit me. And then once I started doing that, I was like, sales is actually a lot of fun. Um, I don't get real like anxiety going on sales calls. I like to just how we're having interaction. These are how my sales calls go. Um, Because I think when you realize that sales is having a conversation with two people or more than two people, right? Depending on what you're selling. Mm. Um, but it's simply a conversation. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? It's not about just trying to get the deal and getting the yes, focus on the process and the outcome will come. Yes. Yes. And I, I often, and one of my key philosophies around, around this and particularly teaching leaders about this is yes, you've got to have the the objective you've got to have the target so we call that the scoreboard and that will be a, mm-hmm. a measurement of how successful or not you are but stop stop focusing on that every single conversation with your sales teams because it just puts so much i think i think undue pressure on them to have to get things right because they end up walking around on eggshells thinking oh i've got to get my target got to get my target which means they're going to be tense their mind sh- mindset's mm-hmm. going to be i don't want to fail so the type of questions they're going to ask are not 
creative. They're very narrow focused because they're going to be leading the witness to an outcome um, and they don't get the result. So as you rightly say, so focus on the process and make make Mm -hmm. progress against that process because if you do that well consistently, uh, the results will take care of itself. Yep. I I love that you brought in the self-leadership aspect of it because one of the things I will often see especially like looking at a, a, a company's pipeline is that it's bloated. They want it full, but it's actually bloated, right? And we know the difference between that. And one of the reasons is because those salespeople are scared to close out the file on an account that's not going to move forward because then they're going to have to go prospects. And quite frankly, um, it's easier to say, I just need to have one more conversation with this person and keep them in the hopper than it is to take them out and have to explain to my sales manager why I don't have enough opportunities, right? <laughs> and it's, so it's going back to exactly what you're saying. What conversations are the sales leaders having? If it's like how much you have in your, your funnel, or, then you're going to get people who leave unqualified opportunities mm. in the funnel because that's what you're asking them about. That's it. Versus what are you actually going to be closing in the next 30 days? Right next, you know, depending on the sales cycle. Yeah. And your comment around the bloated pipeline is such a such a fascinating one because a lot of organizations, and I'll be interested, you probably got the same thing in, in the organizations you work for, have to maintain a three times uh sales target pipeline in a rolling 90-day period. And so mm-hmm. the quality of those opportunities sit not probably where they realistically should be. And I remember I had, I had conversations with sales teams last week who literally put all of their opportunities into their CRM at a 70% probability, irrespective of where they were in the cycle. And so I said, okay, so your sales manager is going to sit down and have a look at your sales pipeline and he's, he or she are going to see every single opportunity at 70%. What does that tell them? I don't know. I've just been told to put it in at 70%. Well, what's the compelling reason? What's the, is there a budget? Who's the decision maker? What's the likelihood of them making decision in the next 30 days? So Mm -hmm. it's this artificial, um, the artificial pipeline and the better question to ask is what's the conversion rate? So I'd much rather as a sales leader, I'd much rather have a quality pipeline with a high probability and good relationships that I know are going to convert rather than just filling up the funnel with stuff they yeah. give an impression that we've got a lot of opportunities, which is just, it's just rubbish. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's lying to yourself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was meeting with a, a former client last week. I was doing this, I'm getting my website redone. And so my branding agency said, well, you need to interview your customers, right? So we did that whole exercise. And one of the questions that I asked him is what was one of your biggest takeaways or why did you reach out to me? And he said, well, when I reached out to you, we had all of these opportunities. He said, but I was in a meeting with my team. And at the time they had five salespeople. And he said, and I quickly realized that to your point, my 75% or 70% was different than theirs. Mm -hmm. And everybody, although we're looking at the pipeline and they're all at the same probability, they're really at different stages in the process. Yeah. And he had the stages, but what he was missing is what needed to happen in each step to move it throughout the process. And so to your point, I think a lot of people, a lot of organizations have these default stages or maybe they're even customized stages throughout the process. But if we don't know what the steps are within each stage, then we're leaving a lot of margin for error and miscommunication, right? So it, it is asking the right questions. It is having that process and making sure that everything is in alignment. 
Yeah. And I think we talked earlier that it's it's not so much what process you end up using it, but it has to be some form of process that you can build consistency around. So mm-hmm. I know from, from my point of view, I'm not wedded to a particular sales methodology. As mm-hmm. long as there's some form of methodology that is consistent, that the sales team can build some momentum around. Because the other challenge I've seen, and I when I was in corporate running sales teams, uh, the big organizations that I was with, it would, this is a bit of a fallacy, but it was almost like the, the sales process of the month. <laughs> we're going to change yeah. the methodology. So yeah. we're going to do something different because that one didn't work. So we'll throw in a new one. Uh-huh. And the sales team sitting there thinking, what, what, what? And that's what there's, that's there's no adaption. What am I gonna do? So whatever the sales process is, mm-hmm. make sure it's workable, make sure it's um it can be flexible enough for you to use it. But also think about as you rightly say, what are the what are the micro steps within each step of the process that will enable you to have confidence that when you've got an opportunity at 70% probability, you've got some you know hand on heart, uh reasons as to why it's actually going to drop and turn it into 75, 80%, 90%, 100% probability, or maybe some questions to ask to validate whether it should be 60% rather yeah. than 70, 70%. Yep. And so, you know what, with, with all of the technology um, is leveraging CRM and tools to do this for you, right? Yeah. So like this particular client, um, they have Salesforce. I was going to say it's customized, but who has Salesforce and it's not customized, right? <laughs> And so what we literally did with theirs is we built in those steps and we built in those questions. So it can't progress, Mm. you know, throughout the stages unless they're putting in certain information and then even to the point where it has alerts, right? So if it's sitting in a stage for a particular amount of time, it has sent an alert to the manager. So now we can have a coaching conversation. And so that's one of the things I, I love about the place that we're in is being able to leverage technology to better coach, better train better develop, but that's very difficult when you don't have a process. Mm. And another thing I was going to mention that you you kind of distinguished, but I think would be really valuable for, for your listeners is there's a difference between sales process and sales methodology, right? And so um, although I did Sandler for 10 years, that's a methodology, mm. but it doesn't fit everybody's process. Yeah. And so I believe methodology can fit into process, but methodology and process are not the same. Yeah. So if people are listening to that, and it's a good point you make, and they think they're both the same because it's it's easy to interchange them in, in mm-hmm. language and, and sometimes if in conversations, what would be the key distinguishing, I guess, factors between a sales methodology such as Sandler and mm-hmm. sales process that you yeah, from so, your point of view? So from my point of view, sales process is what are we doing? from that initial conversation and sometimes even before, let's say if it's with the SDR to close that deal. So what are those stages and particular steps? Sales methodology, (coughs) excuse me, can overlay within that, right? So I may have a particular stage and within that stage, I may do pieces of the Sandler methodology or spin or challenger or whatever methodology people are using. But methodology um, is, this is how I say the best, distinguisher. Sales process is customized to the organization, whereas sales methodologies are typically universal things that can be taught within any organization, but if they're not customized to the sales process, they won't fit. And I can tell you, you know, if I had a client that had an 18-month sales cycle, how we would implement that methodology has to be very different than if I have a client that has a one-call close. 
yeah. right? And so yeah. that's going to be the difference yeah, between the two. Got it. And it's a good it's a good distinction because a lot a lot of sales people and sales leaders that I've worked with sort of get get that mixed up. And and what they end up doing is they create their own sales process. Yeah. <laughs> and they oh, wonder why they don't get the result. Yeah, we, we follow Vant. Okay, so what are we doing before budget, right? <laughs> like, what are we doing in prospecting? What are we doing in the initial conversation? What are we doing? There's uh, steps that have to happen before you get to budget authority, right? Um, and all of those things. So that's going to be the, the big difference. You need you need both. Absolutely. Now, before we uh, press record, you also mentioned that uh, you're putting, the I think, the finishing touches to a book. That's coming yeah. out in in April. So it's what what top performing sales people do different. Uh, and at the end, we'll we'll sort of ask where people can get a hold of that, get on a waiting list, and so forth. So it'll be I'm looking forward to having a, a look at that myself. Uh, yeah. But if we if we talk about that from your experience, and I know you you target the small medium enterprise uh, from a sales sales perspective. What are some of the things that that you think about without giving all the way all the intellectual yeah. property of your book? <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll have people listening to this that have salespeople in various areas or various stages of their experience, and looking at okay, how do I extract more potential out of these people? So, mm-hmm. what is it that I need them to do? So, from your experience, thinking about the top performing salespeople, what is it that makes them different? What is it that they do at a really high level? High level, yeah. So in the book, I actually break down 10 things. So I'll hit a couple. Um, One of the most important, um, and it's kind of funny that I'm about to say this because the first five or six years, I would have said that this was fluffy, right? And it's having the right sales mindset. Um, I thought mindset was like one of those fluffy concepts and, you know, and I was all about skill, 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 technique, technique, tactics, Um, But I quickly realized, and we were talking about this before, that I can go into an organization, um, same, same, you know, same comp plan, selling the same product, you've got 10 salespeople, and they go through the same training, and five would get really, really good, really, you know, excel, and you've got two that would do okay, um, see a little bit of improvement, and three, where sometimes it seemed like they got worse, right, because they were um, apathetic. To, yeah. to the training. And I thought that it was training, right? And I became really curious as to why, what, what separated the five from the other five, the, the top high performance from the other five. And it was mindset. Yeah. Um, I find that really good salespeople and people who constantly want to get better are checking their own beliefs. Mm. So I'm a big believer that our beliefs drive our behavior, which drives our results. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to sales leaders, they're seeing the results and they're oftentimes not the results that they want, right? Their people aren't hitting numbers. They're not prospecting. They're not getting referrals. Sell cycles too long. And then they try to change the behavior through training. <laughs> um, uh, you, you live it, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> if we don't address the belief that is driving that behavior, you can train them all day and it won't be sustainable. 100%. And as you were saying that, I'm 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 chuckling to myself because I can just <laughs> I can just hear myself in sales training talking about exactly the same thing. And you're so right. Yeah. And as a coach that works with sales leaders as well, it's so easy for them to look at the results and say, Yeah, we're not getting the results, we're not hitting the target. So what are the things we have to change? Mm-hmm. What are the behaviors we have to do differently? Because if mm-hmm. we do that, it will actually get the result. Well, 
yes, that might be short short term, but yeah. you've got to look at the the uh, the iceberg principle and say there's a lot of yep. stuff that we don't see that is driving that behavior. And as a good mm-hmm. sales leader, I've got to understand why does Larry will come to work every single day? What motivates yep. her to do what she does? And if I can understand that and tap into that, then when you're not getting the results, instead of saying, hey, can you change the way you're making those phone calls? I'm going to have a conversation about before you jump onto that phone call, what's your thought process? What are you thinking? Exactly. What's going on? So if we change that, then it actually is a cascade effect that changes everything. Um, yeah. And I was I was laughing when you're saying, well, I think this is a bit fluffy. Um, <laughs> people people can still today in 2023 think, yeah. oh, that's just that's just rubbish. Mindset is yep. just we just have to get we just got to get shit done, right? Yep. Well, no. If you want to be successful sustainably, you've got to actually look at what your mindset is because your mindset will affect how you walk in to a sales meeting how you walk into your business and that will create an impression upon everybody, particularly as a leader that are looking at you and watching everything you do. Absolutely. Right. Um, And I think one of the key things that you said is sustainable. Mm. Right. So people will reach out to me and we just want to train. We just want to train. But then I'll listen to their salespeople's calls. And I know there's a belief behind their behavior. There is a belief that is driving their need to discount. Right. There, there is a belief that is driving their inability to ask the right questions and ask tougher questions. There is an inability. There is a belief that's driving their fear of getting to the actual decision maker, asking what their decision making process is. Yeah. And if we don't uncover that or have that conversation, at least we can train them all day. But you and I both know when it comes to the execution they either won't execute what they've been trained on or they execute it very poorly, which yeah. will then make them say, oh, that doesn't work. Well, it's not that it doesn't work, is that we didn't have the right foundation. We built the house on the wrong foundation. And so then when it's time to execute, it's not going to stand. And so, um, but again, I've been there, right? I was that person who thought like it's all technique, it is all skill. But then when I looked at my own clients, I'm like, no, there is something that is different between this group and that group. And it is that this constant awareness um, of what are the beliefs that are happening in our head. And so mm. quite honestly, that has now become like the most requested topic around sales mindset, because I think there is this shift in understanding and maybe it was brought on by the pandemic that um, we're not just at work when we're at work, yeah. right? That there's all these underlying things that are coming to the surface. And I think there has been this increased awareness. Um, and I think another thing that you said is I feel like training is that short term, like that quick. We check the box, we train them. Whereas, you know, coaching, right? Coaching is longer, right? Yeah. Like it takes more time to do coaching. But I find the results of coaching far outpace training. Yes, right. 100%. And so, um, and it makes the training sustainable. It makes it stick when people actually believe that it will mm. work for them versus being, you know, held hostage in a training program. Yeah, it's a good point you make because there are so many uh, sales leaders, so many people who bring in consultants in sales training and think, wow, we're going uh, to train that sales team. We're going to give them one day or two days worth of training. We're not going <laughs> to send the sales managers there because the sales team needs the training. We'll give yeah, them a workbook. Uh-huh. And once they go through the training, they're certified. Yeah, And all of a sudden the expectation is, wow, all the results, there's going to be this massive hockey stick uplift in terms of sales results. But we know that it's a it's a short term, it's like a dopamine hit. It's yeah. it's not 
you might get a short-term influx in terms of effort and maybe results, but it starts to plateau and go down very, very quickly because mental atrophy, atrophy, atrophy starts to play out. And if yeah. you don't have some sort of sustainable managed program as part of a sales process or a sales training program, um, you're not going to get the results. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. So and I, I love the fact that you talked about mindset as, as one of the most um, important one. And it's also pleasing to know that more and more organizations are asking that, asking for that because they're starting to recognize how important it is. Well, you know what? It's funny. I've had this client and we were rolling out this program um, all around mindset for their team, but we actually did train their directors and managers on it first. And then it was funny because I said, and then part two of this is we're going to do mindset for managers. And they're like, hold on. No, no, no. It's not our mindset that's broken. Right. But it's a ripple effect that managers and sales leaders also have negative beliefs that then impact how they manage Mm. and how they coach, whether they coach at all, um, their team. And so it it becomes this this ripple effect. So mindset is definitely one of the big pillars that I see that makes top performing salespeople top performers. Um, And then another piece, um, and we're talking a little bit about the three questions that can double sales, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a little taste of that is I find top performing salespeople debrief their calls. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that sounds very basic, but I find the majority of salespeople get off a sales call, put their notes in CRM, if they even put their notes in CRM, and they're on to the next call. Yeah, They don't actually stop and think about what they did well, what they what didn't go well, or what they need to do differently on a call. And the, the closest that they often get to debrief is, you know, the boss says, how did it go? Oh, my good. <laughs> okay what does that right? mean yeah oh they said call, you know call them back in two weeks oh i think they're on, they're on the fence like whatever it's this one liner kind of throw away versus there is a lot of opportunity and debriefing call so the three questions i know i went through them pretty quickly that can help people double sales in 2023 and they're very very simple is what what did what went well on that call yeah So when you get off the call, not before, you know, your manager doesn't have to debrief you, like you can do this on your own, what went well. And and it's also, I should say, order is important. So it's important to start with what went well on the call, whether you closed the deal or you didn't close the deal. Um, And I'm emphasizing this because a lot of people jump to question number two, which is what didn't go well. well. (laughs) Now, just just on that point, I'm, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I am, uh, I am manic when it comes to that approach as well. And and mm-hmm. whether it's debriefing a sales call, debriefing um, a conversation, debriefing your week, always start with the positive. You've always got to okay. think about what did go well. Because as human beings, we are almost hardwired to believe the negative. So it's very easy for us, based on all of our conditioning, to go straight into what didn't go well. I didn't mm-hmm. start. My introduction was terrible. I didn't ask the right question. My body language was bad. So we 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 pour crap on ourselves yeah. and think, oh, woe is me. So from your perspective, why is it so important for us to start with that first question? What do we do well? Because if if we start with the negative, we we are no longer coachable, right? Even if it's us coaching ourselves, right? And now it becomes a depressing conversation versus this is an opportunity for me to improve. 
Mm. And I even, de- I, to your point, I debrief everything, right? So I'll debrief this conversation we had today. My, I know. Is, like, what, let, let's, let's debrief well? him. What yes. did he do? <laughs> I debrief. But I have a six-year-old, six-year-old and a two-year-old. And my six-year-old is playing basketball, like organized. This is his first organized sport. And my husband is his coach. And my husband played semi-professional. So it's this whole dynamic. And we debrief his games. And I'll say, so what do you think you did well? And so starting with that positive really gets you in the mindset of learning and improvement and coachability. Um, And then that second question, what didn't go so well? Mm. And I love this one because even on deals that I get or even things that went well, maybe it's a conversation with a client, having that what didn't go so well or what could I have done better gives me opportunity to improve regardless Mm. of what the outcome was. And then the third question is, what do I commit to doing differently next time? So it's taking those lessons learned and how will I apply it in the next conversation? And even though I've been doing social training and coaching for 13 years, sometimes I'll get off a call and I'll get to question two of like, what should I have done different? I'm like, you know what? I need to call that person back, right? Or I need to do this, right? There was a question I didn't ask. I need to go back and ask that question when I'm going to go over the proposal, right? In my proposal meeting. And so it gives me a ton of opportunity to either fix a challenge in real time or plan on how I'm going to fix that challenge and my next opportunity. And then of course, that third question, what do I commit to doing different? Gives me forward progress and allows me to learn from past mistakes. Um, Then also things that I did well that I can continue on in future conversations. But I, I promise if you if your listeners start asking themselves those questions, they will double sales, whether they're an individual rep yeah. or a sales leader using those questions to debrief with their reps. It's um, I love the simplicity of it. And, yeah. and sometimes when people look at things that seem to be easy or seem to be simple, they can apply, ah, nah, not going to do that, right? Yeah, it's all about my process, or it's all about my skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see whether the third question: how many people actually turn around and say, "I'm not going to do anything differently because I'm perfect." Mm-hmm. Which, to your point before, puts a question mark over their coachability because exactly. my belief is, and this comes back to your sales mindset, is. We're not perfect. We're always a work in progress. And there's always something we can do to improve the way we interact, the the way we ask questions, our body language, all that sort of stuff. So give feedback and start with the positive, but also, you know, get into the into the rhythm that there has to be something that you can do differently. Even if it's just a slight micro change, it is a yep. change nonetheless. And you'll start moving in a forward direction. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, this is what top performers do. Right. So if if we get to that third question, and I've definitely seen this right in, in coaching or training people, and I'll say, what do you think you could have done different? Well, I don't know. What do you think I could have done different? No, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it is challenging for people because it forces people to do two things. One, think. And um, but the other thing is take ownership. And so there are some people who don't like taking ownership for, they like to take ownership for wins and successes, but don't like to take ownership for gaps or developmental areas, as I call them. Um, And so it can be humbling. But if you are in this learning mindset 
and you want to be a top performer and top performer to me is always this kind of um, you're always advancing and what top performer means for me today is going to be different than top performer meaning for me, you know, five years from now. Yeah. Um, then you have to always be thinking, how do I improve? Hmm. What's that one degree difference? Yeah. Because you look at any elite sports person, any elite entertainer, they're always looking for that next level of performance, right? Yeah. Because they know that and to use a, a hunting term, they are now the hunted because everybody's looking yeah. at them as being the best. So they have to maintain the rage, which means they can't stay the way they are. And we've often heard the, the fact that what get got you to this particular level is not going to let you stay there, but more importantly, it won't get you to the next level. So you've got to start doing some things differently. So constant and never-ending improvement is is such a, a critical thing to, to think about because there is another level to get to. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Um, so what other what other key points? Because I know you mentioned 10 in terms of the um what top performing salespeople do. Is yeah. there a, is there another key one that's sort of top of mind that you're able to you're able to share? Yeah, yeah. Right. So the the, the other um one, one, another one that I'll, I'll talk about is that top performers are also really good at asking questions. Right. And that is one of the quite honestly, not to brag, I feel like that's one of my superpowers is um, and this this actually became validated um, and talking to my my customers. Right. And my clients through that exercise, I was telling you, is that consistently what they said is like you taught me how to ask better questions and I always say the quality of the answers that you're getting from people is directly correlated to the quality of the questions that you're asking people. So I am of the mindset that if a sales rep is on a call and the prospect is able to, they're able to answer every single question, the prospect uh, that the sales rep asks, they didn't ask good questions, Mm. right? So I I like when a prospect says, I don't know. I I ask them a question, they go, I I never thought about it that way. Oh, let me, let me, I had this to happen today on a call and I asked them a question. That's like, and they paused and I waited. And most people would feel awkward with that silence or try to feel it or try to ask a different question. And I sat there because that person was thinking. And while they were thinking, they were thinking, I should know the answer to this question. Yeah. The fact that I don't know the answer to this question tells me that she knows something that I don't know. And so if salespeople can master that, the ability to ask really good questions, not just more questions, yes, but better questions, yeah, questions that make your prospects say, I don't know the answer to that, but I should know, they will pay just about anything that you say, right? Because it instantly creates value and urgency. It does. It does. Um, and I don't, I don't want to gloss over this because this is, this is probably... Can we say the secret sauce? Not just to yeah. sales, yeah. to leadership, but also to life. When you think about it, because you mentioned it before, the quality of the responses is based on the quality of the of the questions mm-hmm. you ask. And it's it's so, so important. My experience with a lot of salespeople, irrespective of the size of the organization, is they're very good at telling. They're very good at giving information. Why? Yeah. Because they're indoctrinated to believe they've got the best product, the best widget, the best network, the best this, fill in the blank, the best of something. And so they think it's their obligation to educate a customer yep. on the features and benefits as to why they should buy this particular product. It's a convincing mm-hmm. strategy. 
And when they do that, any wonder salespeople have this, I guess, this, this reputation of being pushy, convincing, always closing. Versus yeah. if you can do something completely different. And I might happen to have the best product on the marketplace. See that bottle of water? That is the, that is the secret sauce. That is the answer to all of your problems. But the question is, do you qualify for this? Yeah. And so if I, as a good salesperson, can start asking lots and lots of questions, and I'm not going to give you anything about this product until, until you recognize there's a definitive need because you've got a problem that I might be able to solve, then we're going to have a, a conversation. Yep. So how, but how, um, how hard has it been for you? Because I can give you my own experience to try and, I guess, encourage salespeople to speak less and ask more. I don't think it's been difficult um, to get them to do that. What I find is that most people don't have a process to follow, which is why they end up talking so much. And so one of the things that we do is when I start working with the organization is we'll identify where, excuse me, your sales process, but also where do people tend to go, what I call monologue mode. Where do we tend <laughs> to over, yeah, where do we tend to over explain? Where do we tend to get the most objections and pushbacks and questions? Yeah. Where do we tend to try to educate people and how could we ask a question instead? Because I think, and, and when I tell people, the value that you bring to the table is not based on the, the information that you give. You can educate somebody just by the questions that you ask. Yeah. Right? And so really good salespeople know that their power is not in telling people information because really you're just giving them more information to have more objections about than asking, instead asking the right questions and people end up selling themselves. If you're asking the right questions and, you know, there's a, an actual need there, but you can't identify a need if you're doing all the talking. That's it. That's it. All right. So I do the whole 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, at least in initial conversations, you want the prospect talking. Yeah. Which means you just don't need to ask questions. You need to ask better questions so it doesn't feel like an interrogation because I've seen that too. What's, let's ask more questions. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah. Now we've got 10 really bad questions when we could change that to five really good questions that gives well, us all the information we need. That's it. And and when people here ask better questions, sometimes they think better questions is more questions. Yeah. But the quality of this needs to be the questions need to be linked, which means before the sales call, you talked about the importance of debriefing after mm -hmm. the sales call. What kind of process do you go through before the sales call to make yep. sure you've got the what I call the killer questions down pat, which might change yeah. based on the interaction with your prospective customer, but do the preparation. Because one yeah. of one of my bugbears is the number of salespeople that go into any sort of sales call, whether it be on the phone, Zoom, Teams, or face-to-face, -face, who wing it, who just go in there and say, hey, we've got a great relationship. So, Lariel, how's, how's business? What's been going on? How? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And then I think, now what do I ask? You've got to be prepared. Yep. Right, which that that's a fourth one, right? That's it's in the book, right? I, oh, we, I know. I haven't I read it yet. Have you been reading my manuscript? But you're right. It's it's I call it um, an appointment roadmap, right? Mm -hmm. But it's pre-call planning. Um, I, I remember back when I worked in Dallas and I had a client. They did a brain injury rehab, so they would sell to hospitals and nurses and social workers, and I would go in the field with them and watch them sell. 
And I got in a car with one of the reps and I said, what's the plan for the day? And she's like, oh, we'll see. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I, I'm not taking an, a day from my business for us to go see. And I got out the car and I said, well, next time we're going to have to pick another date and time for us to do this. And here's my expectations. Yeah. The next time that we're going to do ride alongs, I need to know what are we going to be talking about? What's the goal of each call? Right. But it's really taking the time to map it out mm. and having a process again for sales leaders. The onus is on you to create that process. If you're individual rep, you could do it as well. But if you're managing a team, you owe it to your team to create a process to help them pre-call their, uh, do a pre-call plan. And there needs to be an expectation because a lot of a lot of sales reps are under so much time pressure. And a lot of that is because of the, I guess the, and sometimes the pressure to hit a number. So they mm -hmm. think I've just got to be always in doing mode, not necessarily mm -hmm. in thinking mode. So if, you know, and you hear the, the old cliche about if you've got an ax and you want to cut down a tree, spend four hours sharpening it and maybe two hours cutting it down rather than just starting to cut the tree down. Absolutely. So to your point, you've got to have a plan. You've got to know what does a, success, a successful day look like? What does a successful call look like? And if you're not planning, then you're not you're not giving yourself every opportunity of, of, of getting the result, which, by the way, just will further inflate the, the pipeline and it won't yep. be quality. Exactly. I think a lot of people um, think that the answer is we need more opportunities. But if you can't convert the opportunities that you have now, doubling the amount of opportunities isn't going to get you there because you're going to burn a lot of relationships in the process. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I'm I'm of the mindset of let's let's get better before we go bigger. Mm. Yeah, which means uh, focusing on the fundamentals, like thinking exactly. about and being consciously aware of what my mindset is. Being aware of when you wake up in the morning, how are you feeling? What's what's the self-talk you're going to put into your brain before you even start doing anything? What sort of pre-call planning are you going to do, right? What sort of questions are you going to ask? Are you, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm not, I haven't read your manuscript, right? So this is, <laughs> this is not a setup question. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's something in there about listening. Uh-huh. So that's another thing that, uh, it's a gross generalization, I know, but a lot of salespeople need to do a lot of improvement in listening. It's one thing to ask the question. The next thing is to shut up, zip it, create that silence yep. and listen. Yep. Because to your point, we may ask more questions than now while they're answering. I'm thinking about the next question that I want to ask. When I'm a firm believer, if when you're listening, the next question automatically appears. Yeah. Right? Because when you when you get your process down so well, I think a lot of times when people think of process, they think rigid. Mm. Right. I've got a or script. I don't do scripts, I do frameworks yeah. because I'm a big believer. And if you have a process, you can be so good in your process that it actually gives you more flexibility. Yeah. Than than what you get with the script. And so when you're really listening, the next question appears and I know how to go there. And then come right back to where I need to be. But we're talking to people. So we need to be able to be flexible within that. And it does require um, us to be good listeners yeah. and to be curious and to be interested. And the person engaging, is this right for them? Are they a good fit for me? Are they a good fit for our company? Are they a good fit for our, our product or service? Mm. Instead of focusing on the conversion or the scoreboard, as you referred to it earlier. Yeah. Um, and it changes the dynamic that you have 
and the sales conversation where it builds just a different level of trust. Yeah. Hey, Larry, we haven't talked about product yet. Yeah. What if salespeople are sitting there thinking, hang on, I'm here to sell a product. All this, mm-hmm. all this mumbo jumbo stuff, I've been told to sell a product. That's yeah. what I should be doing. <laughs> There's your 20%, right? <laughs> um, but if we don't do the 80% of qualifying, identifying the gap, I'm a big believer in that there needs to be a gap between where your prospect is today and where they want to be. Yeah. And then your product or service fills it. Yeah. But a lot of times what happens is the salespeople come in and they're presenting the bridge, as I call it, but there's no gap yet. Right. And because the prospect doesn't see the gap and we yeah. haven't asked good questions, identify where they are and where they want to be, and you're presenting your solution, now I'm going to pre- pick your solution apart and say, oh, well, that's higher than I thought. We don't have the budget. The other person down the street's cheaper, right? Because we're focused now on the product and so will your prospect in ripping your product or service apart than in, in actually solving the gap and, and, and bridging the gap. Um, so, I'm so glad you said that because I see so many sales reps going out to customers and um, do ride-alongs as well. And they've got this um, catalog that's this thick. Yeah. And they'll leave the catalog or they'll leave a brochure or they'll leave a quotation. And they think that's going to be the elixir that incentivizes the customer to lean forward and want to take their product because every single sales rep, rightly so, needs to believe in their product. Mm -hmm. But they're fixated with that product or that service thinking that is the answer. Well, it's not. My my challenge is to try and get them to think about the product is the last thing they're going to talk about. And Mm -hmm. I I would be training you and coaching you to work really, really hard not to mention your product at all in a sales call. So here's a challenge for you. Do a sales call with a customer and do not mention your product once. Yeah. Now, how do you think uh, most salespeople would go with that? Well, <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> what do I say? And the thing about that is how have they been trained? Well, they've been trained by their sales leader who, guess what, was a salesperson who did exactly the same thing. Yeah. They've just now been promoted. So it's like versus like. So it's not about your product. And I've said to people, and I'll keep saying it, and it's one of my general philosophies around sales, is your customers do not want your product and they're not interested in your product, period. Mm-hmm. So get that through your head. And if you do that, then you can start asking the questions that you could rightly say that will yeah. help close the gap or bridge the gap. But only they get to see or hear about the product if we've identified that their gap exists. Otherwise, there's no Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and it changes the perspective too, right? Because then now as a sales rep, I'm qualifying them. And this is what I teach my clients. You should be qualifying them just as much as you think they're qualifying you. Yeah. Right. You have to earn the right to see the product. You have to earn the right to see the service. You have to earn the right to be a client and it changes. I'm no longer desperate for this business. Mm. I've got to make sure you're a good fit. And I've got to make sure that we're a good fit for you as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that 20%. And once they're qualified, now you've got 20%. But if we don't know how to connect it back, um, I was telling you about the client where I was doing the customer voice hacking. And he, I said, so Brian, what, and this is a, the CEO. So what was your biggest takeaway? And he said, and we did a lot of work uh, on different things, playbooks and a whole number of things. And he said, when you told me not to go into initial conversation and doing a presentation, Mm. he said, when you told me I need to be focused more on asking questions so that then I need to tailor our presentation, he was like, that was mind blowing. Yeah. 
And it's just so basic for you and I, Mm. but it's so basic that a lot of people don't do it um, because they're going in and presenting way too soon. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to overlook because they, they think that it's all about my product. Yep. That's about convincing people. Talk to enough people. It's like, no, it's about conversations with people. It's about presenting, not pitching. That's it. Yeah. Which, which sort of comes back to what you said earlier, and you and you were you said you're a self-confessed introvert, right? Yeah. Um, I'm the same. I'd much rather sit in a corner and watch people and have sort of one-on-one conversations <laughs> than walk in and say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Look at me." <laughs> um, but the fallacy that people have around sales is they think that most salespeople have to be an extrovert. In fact, yeah. The whole premise of this, and I think we'll call this. I don't know what we'll call this episode, but it's it, you've got to get better at being genuinely interested in your customer, your prospective customer, their business and the problem they're trying to solve rather than trying to convince them of anything because there's nothing you need to convince anybody of anything. Yep. Ask better questions. Just be curious. Which is why, quite honestly, I feel like introverts make really good salespeople depending on or especially if they have someone that's like appointment setting, right? So I think where a lot of introverts get um, have challenges is like when it comes to prospecting. Yeah. Um, but then you put them on a sales call and that natural curiosity and they don't want to talk anyway. Yeah. Uh, they, they want the prospect to talk and they'll follow the process. They need a process. And so it works. It works really well. But regardless, extrovert or introvert, it's really having this genuine curiosity and interest and making sure that this is the best fit. Yeah. And when we think about the client first, a potential client first, and then our product secondary, people sell more. Yeah. And because, it's it's a lot more fun. Well, it is. And sometimes you walk away from an interaction of sale and thinking, and people might ask you the question, so Larry, how did you how did you do that? How did you get that person, that customer? To buy that product at such a premium, I don't know. <laughs> right, it becomes easy. It's, it's just a natural thing, right? Because yeah. I didn't, I didn't flog the product. I didn't try to convince them based on all the features and benefits. I asked some questions, found out there was a gap, articulated what a problem was that they thought, hmm, you must have a solution to this. So, okay, if I know that, I'm going to lean in and say, would you like to see the solution, or would you like to? investigate a possible solution to this problem yeah absolutely so it's a natural consequence it's a, it's yeah it, it becomes the no-brainer absolutely. Right? it becomes that's the natural next step that's the thing that makes sense mm. and again it's no longer the salesperson trying to convince them about anything it's yeah. them walking through it's almost like facilitating the conversation it's facilitating the sale um when you're asking the right questions but again that goes back to process. Yeah. Right. Because if your process doesn't have those things built in and you've got 10 salespeople trying to do this on their own, that's going to be incredibly difficult to manage. It is. But when we have a process that's scalable and repeatable, then I can fine tune that process for each person. And then it makes it easier to identify where people are getting stuck within that process. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So for people listening, um, especially sales leaders who maybe have sales a sales team that is Maybe not not performing as well right now, or maybe they've got a, a team that's overperforming. But also for salespeople, is there is there one final message as we wrap this up um, that you'd like to leave them to think about as we move into the second month of 2023 to help them fast track their sales? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing is slowing down to speed up. Right. So I was I was speaking at this national sales conference and um, I made the, the comment that the energy and effort that you have to put on the back end of closing the sale is 100 percent correlated to the energy and effort you didn't put in on the front end of the sale. And if we put more um, focus on improving the front end, the initial conversation, the qualifying, the asking the right questions, yeah. selling becomes a whole lot easier. And the same thing from a management perspective, mm. everything that we talked about from a sales perspective applies right to sales management and sales leadership of asking better questions, having the right process and slowing down to speed up. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Hey, um, can you believe it's nearly an hour? I can't. I'm just warming up. <laughs> done? <laughs> well, we did say before we record, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> And then you looked, oh, I'm not really sure I want to talk to an Aussie for hours and hours and hours. Hey, I really enjoyed this conversation. So greatly appreciate you jumping on the podcast. So much value you've added today, which, and and for me, it's just, you know, I've learned a few things as well that I can apply to uh, to my clients in terms of just reframing a few things, which is, which is fantastic. Now, uh, for those who are listening, who would like to know a little bit more about you and where to connect with you, but also maybe get a hand on their hands on the new book, which is coming out in April. Where's the, uh, where's the best place for them to connect, but also to find out what's coming up. Yeah. The best place to connect would be uh, following me on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and then um, my website is lariellipkins.com. I'm sure you'll have it somewhere in the notes, yep. um, but that's, that's where they can find out more information about what I do and uh, as well as, as the book. Nice. Brilliant. That you've been reading, apparently. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what you know what that means, though, is that the principles in the book are the right principles, right? Because yeah. they're the same things that you're saying, yeah. um, and so that it's going to be applicable wherever you are, and what, regardless of what you sell, regardless of industry or even experience, because they work. Yep, they work. So. Larry, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. And uh, because we've only spoken for an hour and there's so much more we need to talk about, perhaps when the book comes out, we need to uh, schedule a follow-up conversation and maybe we can go into some of the other of the 10 principles. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. I love a part two. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon as we get into a brand new day here. So all the best. All right. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.